Welcome to the Cary Church Podcast. For more information regarding Cary Church, visit www.cary.asn.au. Amen. And amen. Hey, welcome to Cary. My name is Dave Kilpatrick. I serve currently as the, uh, the senior pastor here at Harrisdale Campus, and it is my absolute joy to welcome you. If you're a visitor, it is just wonderful to have you with us. We hope that you feel comfortable and relaxed and this is a place you can just be yourself. There'll be tea and coffee after the service and we'd love to uh, be able to say hello to you. Uh, Most of you today will have, or most of you this week, will have received some correspondence from myself and Brian and some of you may even have read it. Um, If you haven't received the correspondence from Brian and I, it probably means that you're not on the church database and uh, the cornerstone and part of the the database that sends out communication. So if you didn't get the correspondence from Brian and I, which Brian will talk to you about in a moment, um, contact the church office during the week if you'd like to be on on that database so you can get uh, correspondence from the church about what's coming on, the news of what's going on, and we'd love to get you connected into that so you can be a part of it and hear what, uh, hear what is happening. But it's my pleasure to um, invite uh, Dr. Brian Harris, the Chairman of the Board and Pastor at Large, and Mr. Peter Scott. Two awesome individuals. Um, and uh, to just talk about that, Brian, welcome. Pete, welcome. And uh, Brian, as the Chair of the Board, I'll let you take over now. Great, thanks very much. Well, as Dave said, you probably got some correspondence. If you didn't, well, you'll, you'll get the gist of it now. Change. Change is always in the air. And uh, as a congregation, we always wanting to grow, always wanting to be everything that God calls us to be. And God raises up people to lead us in one way or another. And you would know that if you've been a long-time person here at Kerry, you would know that for many years, Steve Arzette served as senior pastor. For a while, I did. Dave Kilpatrick's been serving as a senior pastor here at, at Harrisdale, because we, and we say the senior pastor here at Harrisdale because we formed the new congregation at Forestdale, so we've had two, two churches going, uh, and relatively recently Peter Scott joined us and became an associate pastor here at Harrisdale as well. Now, we need to recognize that Cary is a movement. It's a movement made up of three parts. So there's what we would call Cary uh, the Church. And that's really the heart of everything. That's what got everything going. Uh, we carry the colleges, a college here at Harrisdale, another college at Forestdale. Uh, and then we are what is known as Kerry Community Resources. Kerry Community Resources includes things like Timber, and includes Jump, and includes the Right Track Foundation, includes a number of other entities which Kerry has birthed. And uh, we as a movement try, we, we, we really exist to, to build missional platforms through which we can make contact with people, provide them with a service of real excellence, and through the excellent service which we provide, we, we believe that we win opportunities to speak to people about Jesus. And we're always looking at how we can further the movement and how we can, can help to make it more effective. Now, Dave, Dave, Dave Kilpatrick, has been serving for the last, I think, just over four years now, uh, four years as the senior pastor here at Harrisdale. And he's also been the executive director of the Kerry Movement. And the Kerry Movement has had an executive director because obviously if you've got these three entities, they, they need to work together, they need to flow together, they, they need to really develop. And, and that just doesn't happen with no one giving it time and attention. And in the correspondence which you, you, you received this week, you would uh, have heard or you would have read uh, that we're planning that from the start of next year, Dave will be full-time 
as, in fact, be working with a changed title, full-time as the Director of Ministries uh, for the Kerry Movement uh, slash CEO. And we, we're giving those two titles because we're saying actually Director of Ministries reminds us that everything we do here at Kerry is a ministry, but uh, we are a multi-million dollar organization, often dealing with banks, the government, all kinds of places, and Director of Ministries is not a term that means very much to them. So we are noting that in the, the corporate world, that would be viewed as being a CEO, so the Chief Executive Officer, and Dave will be moving to, to that post full-time. So, so the, 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 the post which he's had there half-time then will become full-time, and that means, okay, so he's no longer going to be the senior pastor here at Harrisdale, so who is? Uh, well, the board's proposal, and it is ultimately up to us as a partnership to make the final decision, the board's very strong proposal and very enthusiastic proposal is that, that Peter Scott, uh, who's been the associate pastor from the start of next year, becomes the senior pastor here at Harrisdale, which actually in the history of the church will be the first time that this congregation has ever had a full-time pastor looking after it, which I think is really, really long overdue. So uh, just in a in very summary form, that's, that's what that letter said. I realized it was quite long, and I bet that lots of you didn't read it, uh, but... Uh, and it didn't matter because I've just summed it up for you now, uh, so that's fine. But I thought that it would be good, actually, if we just chatted to, to, to Dave and Pete about it. And uh, Dave, so for yourself, uh, Chief Executive Officer, Director of Ministries, what, what's that all about? Is, uh, some people might say, is that really a role? Is there, is there something to do there? What will you do in that, that post? I hope so. <laughs> um, Kerry has, has grown significantly and what we haven't increased is the leadership capacity in order to be able to do that. And I've been carrying out two roles which really I've been unable to do both of them well. Um, there is an enormous amount of um, thinking and praying and working with leaders to get a sense of the rhythm of how we need to operate as a spiritual community um, as a lighthouse in this world and also as an organisation and to be able to think through how do we, in the context of the quite sophisticated um, organisation that we have, be as a whole salt and light in this community? How do we operate together with the church as ministries of the church, um, being and serving and loving into the community in which we serve? And so being able to spend time with the key leaders, the, the senior pastors, the executive principal in the education, the person who looks, Tim Dawson, who looks after the business side of things, to be able to say, how are we developing? What do we sense God is next calling us to? Investing in those leaders and developing those leaders and, and together understanding what does it mean in our context to be on mission in this world? And how do we, how do we effectively do that? So that's something that I've sort of been able to touch on a bit. But uh, there is just so much more that we, I think, can and need to be doing. One of our, one of our um, uh, things that we talk about is seeing communities transformed um, by God's love and, and working out how do we as an organisation not just look for people that come into the organisation, but how do we go out? How do we serve the community around us? And I'm really, I'm really looking forward to the opportunity to have some space uh, to be able to work with those leaders and think, think through really carefully and prayerfully what does that mean and who are we, what sort of leadership do we need to be, what sort of people do we need to be in order to be responsive to God in those places. So, so, so Dave, okay, so you're going to be kind of coordinating the leadership to make sure that they stay on mission, that the whole thing holds together, looking for new opportunities. Uh, but I guess that many people here would say that... We really love you, and we love your ministry and everything else. Does that mean that kind of come the 1st of January, we won't ever see you again? Um, no, I really hope not. Um, 
I, I have loved serving here as a senior pastor. And uh, I, was thinking, I was thinking about it. In the weeks leading up to it, I thought, I'm really going to miss working with the staff team. I love those guys, and there's just a phenomenal team. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm really grateful to be able to hand them to people like Peter and Mark. Um, but it was really only today that I started to get a sense of uh, the weight of stepping out of the role in this community. Uh, felt a bit like, you know, you, if you were giving your daughter away in marriage, you're really excited, it's fantastic, but there's a sense of, oh my goodness, there's a sense of grief there as well. Um, I'm, I'm going to remain a part of this congregation and our, our kids and family will remain a part of this congregation. I will continue to preach on occasions in all the different congregations. Um, in some respects, my role my role flows out of the life and ministry of the church. So being able to continue to be a part of the community, be seen in the community, speak into the community is really important. And I love this community to bits and I love the church to bits, so I'm not going anywhere. Great, and I bet everyone's very glad to hear that. Peter, <laughs> including Peter. No, 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 Peter, are you feeling like, gosh, this is a bit of a dodgy deal here. I came as the associate pastor and I thought I'd have a role where I'd kind of have someone guiding me and everything else and they're all just disappearing and it's me and I've got to be in charge. How, how are you feeling about kind of probably becoming the senior pastor here? Oh, they're doing that to you deliberately, I'm quite sure. There we go. Thank you. Let's hope things go a little more smoothly than that, eh? Um, what was the question? How am I feeling? Well, now that I'm feeling completely nervous and, uh, and awkward, but uh, no, I'm actually feeling really excited. Um, God, God's had us on this journey, and, and this feels like it might be the, the right next step. Just, and I say it might be because clearly, uh, as Baptists, we're going to vote on this, and, and we want God to really speak through everybody in the partnership Who's going to who's going to vote on this? But but uh, I think for me, the most exciting thing is that I get to continue to be part of the family. I get to step into this new role, but I don't lose the amazing mentors that we've got. And I've said a couple of times to people that in in past roles in the corporate world, what would typically happen in in something like this situation would it would be right? We're appointing you. And by the way, I'm leaving the country in the next two weeks sort of thing. So you, you don't have that great continuity. So on the one hand, I'm excited. On the other, I'm, I'm daunted. I, I am pretty new. I think it was almost exactly a year ago that we were saying, hi, this is the new guy, Peter Scott. So I've only, only been here in ministry for a year. Um, but, but it feels like what God's calling me to do. I feel really peaceful, even though sometimes uh, daunted by it all. And just to have... Dave around, Brian around, uh, and, and a number of you that really support me and us. Uh, it, it's feeling great, and I'm, I'm really excited. Don't, don't worry, I've got a mic that's working, I think. Um, so, Peter, I mean, I've got to say that when we appointed you as associate pastor, this was the, the kind of plan in the back of our minds. We were kind of looking saying, is this the person God is raising up as, as senior pastor? But would you have been content to stay as associate pastor if it hadn't happened? Would you have been, I mean, have you been sitting there in the background chomping away saying, no, I think I should be the senior pastor? How's that been for you? <laughs> That's sort of a loaded question, isn't it? I think the right answer is yes, no, I'm comfortable. No, absolutely. I, uh, I remember the day that uh, Dave sort of opened up the conversation and I was quite shocked um, and, and frankly didn't feel ready uh, at, at that point. Because I, uh, one of the things that I felt as God's led us into this place is 
just a great sense of peace and comfort that I can, I can grow into this, that um, God's just got us in the right place. And the journey we've been on has not just been... Um, uh, well, well, it's had a combination of things. One's been the location. We really feel that God's led us to this location, being Perth, in fact, to Harrisdale and to this community. Uh, we feel that he's really led us into ministry as opposed to the corporate world. So all these things have come together. And I've just been really enjoying being the associate pastor. So stepping up into more responsibility in some ways is really exciting. In other ways, I'm sure I'm going to look back and think, boy, that associate pastor gig, that was, that was really comfortable. Yeah, yeah. Those quiet days are going forever. <laughs> hey, I mean, we spin as though it's a done deal. Let's, let's remember we are Baptist Church, so ultimately the partnership decides in terms of who its senior pastor will be. We are going to be doing that in two phases. So on the 2nd of November, which is a Thursday night, we're having just an open forum in which people can just talk about what's been proposed. And uh, if you'd like to be part of that, uh, it's here at 7 o'clock, is that, 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 that right? Sorry, 7.30. So 7.30, small auditorium. And we're just going to be talking about the changes. And I mean, it's a bit difficult today to have it kind of questions and so on, but we'll have Whatever questions you might want to ask, uh, anything that you want to know about the proposed new structure, uh, we'll deal with at that, that, that meeting. And then we formally vote on that uh, on Sunday the 12th. Uh, at 11.30, that will be over at uh, Forestdale. We'll nip, nip across there, but... Uh, oh, sorry, it's here. Thank, thank you, Dave. You, are acting. you see, he's just the obvious CEO person. There. He's getting everything right and uh, helping us enormously there. So it will be here at 11.30 on the 12th. So um, that, that will then will be the actual formal vote for that. And if that vote goes through, then this comes into effect from the 1st of January uh, 2018. So I think it's a momentous thing. I think we, it's, it's hard to, to say what a significant step this is for us as a congregation here. Uh, really, it's very, very few churches that manage to grow to about 300 people without having a senior pastor who's full-time. It just doesn't happen. And Kerry, in its uh, almost 20 years, has never really been able to have a senior pastor who's been full-time focused on the development of the church. It's earliest days, Steve Azette, when he was here, was senior pastor here, but was having to develop the college. Uh, when I came in, I was also having I was full-time at Vaux Seminary. And Dave's come in, he's having, having to develop the college and the, the additional college which we built. Uh, now, for the first time, we'll actually have someone who can say, right, actually, this congregation building this church is my prime focus, uh, and this is where the energy actually goes. And I think that that's an enormously wonderful and significant stage for all of us. So, I think that we should celebrate that. So, well, why not just applaud? feels like this is an applause moment. And... <laughs> And I think it's also a, a prayer moment, and, and I think it's actually quite a significant prayer moment, and sometimes in the most significant moments in prayer, it's good to just stand. So, so why don't we stand and just pray about this? And Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us at Kerry, for us as a congregation. We thank you for this stage which we've come to. And we want to pray for Dave and for his family as Dave steps into the role of the director of ministries for the whole group. And Lord, in some ways, that's a slightly lonelier role because it has less of a clear focus. But Lord, we recognize that it's, it's the role that leads to growth. It's the role that leads to development of the movement. It will lead to the birth of new schools and new congregations. It will make sure that we stay on mission. And we pray that you would equip Dave with everything that he needs. We pray for Pete and thank you for the way in which he's already blessed this congregation so enormously. 
And we do pray that you would equip him with every gift that he needs. We pray for us as a congregation that we would be fully encouraging of him, supporting of him. And help us, Lord, to truly gel together to be a group that works together on mission for you. We thank you that we've been called together to serve you. And we commit ourselves to you. In your name. Amen. Please be seated. As, as we go through this period, can I encourage you to continue to pray? I want to I, I emphasize again the significance of having someone given the responsibility of focusing on this community. My passion and heart is that this would just be a vibrant, growing, thriving, passionate, worshipping community in the center of all that we do. And um, be praying for that, be praying for discernment, and be praying for Pete's family. Um, just about everything we do is, is seeking to be on mission in this world. And uh, one of the ways when we do that is to give. And we're going to be taking up our, our offering at the moment. If you're a visitor, please don't feel under any obligation. You're welcome to participate. But this is one of the ways in which we contribute and serve into what God is doing in this community and in the world. So I'll ask the stewards to come forward. We're about to send our kids out. I just want to pray a blessing on them. Lord Jesus, I thank you for our children. Lord, I thank you for our children that are before us. Lord, I thank you that are for our children that are in the process of being formed. Lord, I thank you for the kids that have not yet joined us but will. Lord, we thank you for the special place the kids have in your kingdom. Lord, we thank you for the way that they can reflect our relationship with you. Lord, I thank you for the people that have a heart to invest in them, to encourage them, to love them and to draw them into relationship with you. Lord, as they go, we just pray your blessing upon them. 
Lord, that you, they would hear your voice. Father, they would grow in a community where you are real and vibrant and at work. And Lord, that they would be witnesses to their friends. Lord, for those that lead, I just pray your blessing upon them, that you would gift them with wisdom and skill and love and grace. And Lord, as they go, we just pray and thank you that they go with you, in you, and surrounded by your love and goodness. Amen. Amen. Kids, time to go. Have an awesome time. Look at that. Just have a look around. There's little people everywhere. Come on, I know you want to go. We've got, we've got the opportunity to continue to worship the creator of all things, the one who laid down his life. So let's stand and let's turn our hearts and minds to him. Thanks, Kim.
thank you for your faithfulness. It's new, Lord. We can hold on to it, Lord God. You never fail to be faithful. Heavenly Father, just blow through this place. May we stand on your word as truth. And look towards the word, Lord, where you are faithful for generations from the beginning of time. And here in this place, Lord God, you're a faithful God. You are over these people, Lord God. You're over this church. Marvelous things, miraculous things are coming about, Lord, because of your faithfulness. Lord, open up our eyes to you to see where you are moving. And may we join with you, Lord God. Great is his faithfulness in the church. Our Bible reading this morning comes from the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, and reading from verses 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreign and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Well, hello again. Just as a query point, how, how many Kiwis do we have here in the congregation today? Do we have how many people from New Zealand here today? Like a couple. Uh, what, what did you think of the election and the election results in New Zealand? I mean, it's been, uh, I mean, I know this is not really a place for political comment, but uh, it's been interesting, hasn't it? If, I mean, some of you would say, well, I don't pay any attention to anything comes to New Zealand, and that's terrible because I'd remind you that Rosemary and I are actually New Zealand citizens. So, um, but uh, they had an election a few weeks back, and Bill English and the National Party, uh, which had been in power for uh, three terms, uh, or very nearly got a fourth term. They, they got 47% of the vote, uh, or almost very nearly 47% of the vote, which was far more than, than their Labour Party did. And uh, they just needed to organise one or two little coalition partners, and it looked as though they'd have their fourth term. But 
that's not what happened. Uh, and if you've been following the news, you'll know that New Zealand First, Winston Peters, uh, the Greens Party and uh, Labour have formed a coalition. Uh, it was announced during the week, uh, apparently neither Bill English nor Jacinda Ardern, the, the Labour leader, knew what the outcome was going to be, uh, which tells you a lot about Winston Peters and how he likes to keep everyone kind of holding on. And they formed this coalition, which will, uh, I mean, it's really a very improbable coalition. If, if, you, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, what's these politics about, just kind of translate it into the Australian scene, and it would be rather as though the Greens here and Labour and One Nation got to got together, uh, we're going to be our government, and that the Prime Minister was going to be Bill Shorten and Deputy Prime Minister Pauline Hanson. And uh, because that really is the equivalent, and you'd be sitting there and you'd be thinking, this is interesting. Uh, you know, it will be a, a, it's, let's see what's going to happen. I think it will be in the news quite often. Um, and you, 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 you may well be saying, but, you know, Brian, why are you going on about this? Unlikely coalitions do often take place. And that's true, because actually this passage, and I guess this is why I'm saying this, this passage in Ephesians chapter 2 is about the unlikely coalition that formed the early church. You would never have thought that these two groups of people could get together, Gentiles and Jews. And I know that we have got so used to uh, thinking that the church was started off as a Jewish community and then uh, Gentiles came on board. That's how the church grew. We got so used to that that we very often forget how fragile that would have been, and how nearly it didn't happen, and how easily it could have splintered and all fall apart. Because you might say, you know, what was the big deal about these people from two different religious backgrounds coming together? Uh, I mean, after all, I mean, you've probably heard people say, all religions are really much the same. They all teach. I mean, they all teach that God is love, and they all teach that you should have lovely temples and holy places, and they, I mean, really, is there that much difference between them? And in saying that, you would actually be showing that you don't really know very much about the ancient world. And Paul, when he looks at this church which is emerging, uh, says that we need to remember, and in verse 17 probably says the most significant things. He said, he came and preached peace. He, Jesus, came and preached peace. Peace to you who were far away, you Gentiles who were far away, and peace to those who were near. And in his own mind, Paul is drawing this enormous distinction between those who are from a, a Jewish background and therefore were quite near in their understanding of God, who reasonably closely knew what God was wanting, and those who were far. And he says of Gentiles, you were just far away from God. You weren't really on the same page at all. And he's saying, so, so how is it going to be the people who've been near to God and people who are really far from God, how are they going to hold together into the future? And, and let me try and underline this in a couple of ways. As I say, I mean, we, we very often think, well, you, you, you know, all religions are essentially the same. What difference does it make? Um, yeah, I mean, would there really be such a difference of people are people at the end of the day? No, it's about what people automatically default back to. So if you were a Gentile, for example, the word God, I mean, if I were to just say the word God today to most people, I mean, regardless of their religious background, people would usually make comments like, God is love, God is just, God is merciful. These are things that, that today, when the world hears God, they take that for granted. But actually, if you were from a Greek and Roman background, which the vast majority of the Gentiles were, that's not what you thought when you heard the word God. In fact, you thought of gods in, in, in the plural. 
and you would have been told about this kind of order, this, this kind of other world, this pantheon of gods who lived above there and who lived almost in like a parallel universe, lives in which the gods were very colorful characters. And some of them were awful. Some of them were malicious, some of them were cruel, some of them were vindictive. And by and large, these gods didn't have anything to do with what was going here on the earth below. In fact, if they did have something to go uh, to do with, with the world below, it was usually uh, because they wanted to get something from humans or they were being bribed by humans in some ways to help. And so your automatic default when you thought about God was not to think, as Jews would have thought, a God who's certainly given us these laws and shown us a code and a way to live, a God who's involved in the world, a God who's loving, a God who's just, a God who's merciful. You wouldn't have thought like that. You'd think, God, you know, well, <laughs> this isn't going to involve very much for me because the gods are not very interested in humanity at all, and gods can be quite capricious, and they can be malicious, and they can be cruel, and they could be anything altogether. And so Paul has to say, you're coming from a long way back. Your, your, your instincts, when you, think, when you hear the word God, your instincts are fundamentally flawed. Or you could even think of, of the word temple. And so you say, and Paul speaks here about this temple that we're building for God. And you say, well, temples, we, we, we know what temples are. I mean, for, for all of human history, surely temples have been holy places where people worship God and where people sometimes make sacrifices to the gods and where people pray and bring their concerns to gods. Well, if you're Jewish, yes, that, 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 that's fair enough. That's essentially what the Jewish synagogue was about and the Jewish temple was about. But if you're actually from a Greek and Roman background, actually temple could mean just about anything. In actual fact, the cult of temple prostitution was very common, and temples very often were brothels in the ancient world, which is one of the reasons why, when you read in the Old Testament, the, the very harsh condemnation of, of, the, of the religion of the surrounding peoples, that's part of the heart of what's going on there. People sometimes read the Old Testament and say, oh my, it's so intolerant of all the other religions that were there. And, and frankly, when they say that, they are just displaying their enormous ignorance. They, they're saying, actually, you don't know anything about what those religions were like. And, and, and I want you to almost imagine what the situation would be. So, so, so let's just think for a moment. Here you are, and you're having tea with a Gentile. And, and let's just say that, 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 that you're two women getting together. And you're having tea with a Gentile woman from the ancient world. And you're sipping your tea together, and as you're having your, your tea, her husband comes into the room and says, Goodbye, dear, I'm just off to the temple. And you think, and you say, Oh, what a lovely, godly husband you have. There he is, off to the temple. How nice. And you're surprised because actually your new friend is just seething. And you say to her, So nice to see you've got such a godly husband. And she just bursts out, I'm just so mad. He spends all his money on prostitutes and he's going to that brothel all over again. I, I mean, you see, that's what could very well be happening when he's saying, I'm going to the temple in the ancient world. That could be the default drive because he could have been part of the cult of temple prostitution. And so when you think, you know, building a temple and you come from a Gentile background, you're not necessarily thinking the same thing the Jews are thinking. And listen, it wasn't always as bad as that. But sometimes it was actually worse because, in fact, many of the ancient religions practiced child sacrifice. And so if you're off to the temple, it could be that you're there to sacrifice your child. And so let's be a little melodramatic again, but imagine it one more time. There you're having, having afternoon tea with your newfound friend and husband comes in and says, I'm just taking little Millie off to the temple. And you think, how nice. You know, he's raising his children to be wonderfully godly. 
And you're surprised because she leaps up out of her seat and rugby tackles her husband and says, you're not taking that child anywhere, thank you very much, because she knows that actually perhaps he's part of, part of child sacrifice. And that's what could be taking place in the temple. Now, now, now when, you, when you start to recognize that, then you start to read this passage in a slightly new light, don't you? Because Paul is actually saying, this remarkable thing has happened. Jews and Gentiles have come together. And they're building this new temple for God. And how is this work going to progress? How is this unlikely coalition going to hold together? What is this future going to be? And, and Paul starts by just being, and, and you might think that he sounds rude, but he's just being very factual. And he says it there in verse 17. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, you Gentiles, who have to relearn absolutely everything. You've got to distrust everything that you got from your past, everything that you've been taught about God, you cannot rely upon. You were far away, and this is a completely, completely, completely new thing for you, and you've got to learn a new vocabulary and a completely new way of living. So he came and he preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near, you Jews, who weren't completely right, but you got many things right and many things you're going to be able to hold on to. So this group of people starting from very, very uneven beginning points are being brought together. And Paul, you can imagine him as one of the apostles of the early church thinking, how is this going to work? How are we actually going to get something that goes ahead and flourishes and does well and truly honors the one true only God that exists? And he then makes some very tangible suggestions. And as we go on through the passage, uh, let's see uh, what he has to say. So he says, he came and preached, verse 17, if you've got, you've got your Bibles with you, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer, you Gentiles are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. You, you actually belong now, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Now, now I think it's worth just unpacking that verse just a little bit. In him... In him, the whole building has been joined together. What's it been built on? It's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, verse 20, the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Now, now what's Paul, Paul saying? He's saying, okay, if we're going to build this unlikely coalition, we need to think through this building material that we're using to build it. So, so where's this, this new temple, this new group of people who are going to worship God? Where, what, what's... What, what's their foundation going to be? And he says that we actually have three foundations, which we kind of, three, three building materials which we have. We have the teaching of the apostles. In other words, we have the apostles of the church who have lived with Jesus, and they've heard what Jesus taught, and they're going around saying, this is what Jesus taught us, this is what Jesus did, this is what Jesus said, and we build the church on the teaching of Jesus. And we primarily have, have that teaching recorded for us uh, in the New Testament today. So Paul is saying, effectively, we build the church on the teaching of Jesus, which we find, in due course, we're going to find in the New Testament. And he says that you don't just build it on that, that you build it on the foundation of the prophets. In other words, uh, for Jews, 
who were coming from a near position. They had codified what the prophets taught and what the law taught. They had actually codified that into 613 laws. So Paul's saying, you know, think about those 613 laws that you've got. And we, of course, have, have more radically confined them into the Ten Commandments, which we find in Exodus 20, which is this great summary of the law. And think about all the God encounters which you find in the Old Testament, times when God turned up in different circumstances and did different things. Think about all those times, all that you learn about God from, from there. Well, you've been, you, you've been built upon that. So you have this foundation. You have the foundation of all that was taught in the past through the prophets. You have all that's been taught about the life of Jesus now. And then he says something quite interesting. And he says that we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. With Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Now, what is he getting at there? He's saying, and he's recognizing, that actually as you read all that's, that's been taught or you listen to all that's been taught, you need to make sure that you run it all through the grid of Jesus. If you were going to be a student at Vos, and you'd know that I serve as principal of Vos Seminary, and incidentally we're recruiting students at the moment, so if you feel like you want to learn a little bit more about Scripture, this is a great time to apply, which has nothing to do with the sermon, but uh, could change your life for the good, uh, which would be a great thing. Um, if you were at Vos, you would, you would hear lecturers say over and over again, it's really important to read the Bible with a Christological lens. It's important to read the Bible with a Christological lens. Now, now, that actually is what Paul is saying here. He's saying Christ Jesus is your chief cornerstone. So you build upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, but as you read what you read there, you constantly look back to the life of Jesus, and you say, how does that line up with what Jesus taught? And you interpret it in the light of Jesus. Now, now, now what do I mean by that? Well, well, let me give you a couple of examples. You perhaps have sometimes said, you might even have thought, when you've read the Old Testament, gosh, it's, it's quite a bloody book. I mean, there are just so many battles, and there's so much war, and they're like corpses everywhere. And, and so as you read the Old Testament, you may say, well, we're supposed to build ourselves on this foundation, the foundation of the prophets, but it's just one battle after another. Is this saying that we should really glorify warfare? And, and some of you might almost feel, you know, ethically, I'm a little bit doubtful about this. I, I don't know that I feel comfortable with what I'm reading here. But, but then we hear, okay, no, no, you, you read this all with a Christological lens. So it means you, you, you run everything past Jesus first. So then you ask the question, so, so what did Jesus teach about warfare, for example? Well, he taught us that those who live by the sword will die by the sword. He taught us that we must love our enemies. So it's, okay, so that, that Christological lens doesn't seem to really justify a conclusion that, in fact, warfare is great and wonderful. So, so, so then you read the Old Testament, and you read it a little bit more carefully. And you probably notice some passages like, like David wanting to build the temple for God. And you might see that, surprisingly, David was told, you can't build the temple for God. And David's like, why can't I build the temple for God? And, and God says to him, why? Do you, do you remember the answer? Because you are a man of blood, because you've been involved in warfare, because you have too much blood on your hands. And you read that, and you almost say, gosh, this is surprising. I thought that God helped David to win his battle against Goliath. I thought God helped David to beat the Philistines. I thought that God was behind it. Yes, in those broken and fallen and desperate circumstances, God did indeed help his people to win many battles. But this passage is saying, but that's not the heartbeat of God. In fact, when God looks at the temple that wants to be built, he says, actually, I don't want it to be associated with, 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 with warfare and blood at all. So, David, you're not the right person to build the temple. 
And, and you notice that passage in a new way. Why? Because Christ Jesus is the chief cornerstone. So, so you read with a Christological lens. You, you run it through the Christological lens. And, and, and you hear again Jesus say, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. And so you, you, you know you can't just read the Old Testament and say, oh, yeah, violence and warfare is always fine. It's great because there are battles there. You realize that if Christ Jesus is the cornerstone that, that Paul is saying, that actually you build with a different kind of a frame. Let me, let me give you another example. Adultery. What does the Old Testament teach us about adultery? Well, one, one of the Ten Commandments is uh, you shall not commit adultery. And I don't think anyone wants to dispute that that's a very wise commandment. But it goes further than that. If you go to Leviticus, it tells us that, in fact, if you're caught in adultery, you can be stoned to death. And, in fact, that's, that's, that's what's prescribed for adultery. And so I say, oh, goodness, as you read that, you say, well, I'm supposed to be built upon the prophets. And as I'm looking at the prophets, I'm seeing that you know, adultery is forbidden. And we're told that you can actually stone to death adulterers. And you're probably saying, I'm feeling very uncomfortable with that. I, I just don't feel that that's okay. But that's what it says. But I'm also built, and Paul is telling me, you, you build with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. So I say, let me look at this one. So, so let me run the Christological lens through this. And as I run the Christological lens through that, I, in fact, discover that there's an occasion where Jesus has to give a commentary on a woman who's been caught in adultery. You find in John chapter 8. And in that particular passage, uh, people are wanting to stone this woman to death, as the law says that they actually should. And what does Jesus do? Well, as she comes in, as Jesus asked what his opinion about this is, he says, okay, you can go ahead with the stoning, provided you don't have any sin. Let those who are without sin throw the first stone. And as people look at themselves, they realize, well, actually, well, then I don't think I'm going to be able to be part of this stoning today. Thank you very much. You've just ruined a great party for us. Thank you, Jesus. And, and one by one, they, they walk away. And Jesus looks at the woman and says to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And so, so as you, you look at that Christological lens, you, you, you quickly realize the Christological lens does not make you wishy-washy about adultery. It doesn't make you say, oh, yeah, it's fine. It doesn't really matter because that's not at all what Jesus taught. But it does make you merciful in a whole new way. It does make you recognize that actually we need to find a path forward in a whole new way. It does make you realize that actually we can't just be the condemnation that there was in the past. That's Christ Jesus, the cornerstone. And Paul is saying, okay, so we've got these people from very different backgrounds together. How are we going to build this work of God? Well, we're going to build it on what Jesus taught in his life and the teaching of the apostles. We're going to teach it, do it on the foundation of, of the prophets that have gone before. And we're going to do everything through Christ Jesus, who is the cornerstone. So we ask the, the what would Jesus do? Or how would Jesus understand this? Or how, what commentary would Jesus give in this? And everything that we actually do. And as we do that, we need to remember that we are not alone in that process. And so as we were told, let's listen to, to what it says. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone in him. The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. 
So as we build this foundation, as it goes on, we discover that actually we've been built into a new community where God lives by his spirit. And so we've been told, you know, how do we know what to do? Well, because we have the teaching of the apostles and we have the teaching of the prophets and we do all that through a Christological lens, Christ Jesus is the cornerstone, and we listen to the spirit who is in our midst, who is part of this temple who's being built. You may say, okay, Brian, thanks very much. It's actually quite interesting, but so what? So what? So, so what difference does that actually make to us here at Kerry? And I actually think it makes the most enormous difference. Let's think of a couple of things. As we think of the background, I, I don't know all of you. I know many of you, but I don't know all of you. And I know that some of you have grown up in lovely Christian homes. And there is a sense in which you have always been near to God. If you were to tell your God story, it would be a God story of, of the enormous gratitude you have for growing up in a Christian home, for finding a time when you embrace that, 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 that teaching, for never really having rebelled or strayed very hard from that. For you, you have been brought from very near to this place where you've had your own God story and you can tell your own God story. And, and some of you, the story's quite different, quite different. And as you tell it, you, 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 you would tell of a background where, where really there was nothing about God in your background at all and you were rebelling against everything that God stood for. And you might not even have known it, but you were, you were far, you were far. And the church has always been built up of people who some have been near and some have been far, but all have needed a, a God encounter. All have needed to, to come to Jesus. And Paul is saying this, but wherever you've come from, you belong. You belong. You are now part of the household of God. In fact, this is the, 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 the truly astonishing thing which he says here. For he says, he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So, so in the past, it could have been that if you were always near, you looked at that outside world there, and you were a little judgmental, and you thought those people there are so terrible, and they live in such an ungodly way. Look at their cult of temple prostitution. Look at the way in which they sacrifice their children, or look at whatever it is that you might think the people who are outside actually did. And if you were outside, you may say, oh, those people are so self-righteous and so squeaky clean and who don't know what it means to live at all. And she says, in Christ Jesus, that, that dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. It really does not matter anymore. He, Jesus, is our peace. And he makes the two one, destroys the barrier, makes this unlikely coalition possible. And his purpose is to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by the one Spirit. So it could be that you are one of those people who say, I've come from far away. And you may say, you know what? My default is always wrong. And that I never really understand properly because right from my earliest days, everything I've been taught about God has been fundamentally defective. Well, that's the situation that the early church found itself in. And Paul is saying to you, you belong. You are not part of the household of God. You truly do belong here. And if you're near, well, you're near, but you still had to take that step of trusting in Jesus. You still had to recognize that you can't save yourself. You still had to recognize that it's only through the cross of Jesus that you can truly come to the Father and have a relationship with God. And we are all being built together. 
Verse 21, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. You belong. But says Paul, this is a work in progress. It is a work in progress. Have you built a house before? I mean, it can be, be quite exciting. I, my oldest son, Nick, and uh, his wife, Kat, uh, they, they're currently building a new home. And it's interesting to, to look at the different stages which it goes through. Because house building does have different stages, doesn't it? You, you, you start thinking about, you know, can we do this? Where would we want to do it? And you start looking for property, and you eventually purchase a block of land. And, and then you, you, you get some plans together, and at some point a foundation is laid, and then suddenly walls start to go up, and you, and you see changes coming about. And Paul is using this, this building imagery, but, but notice this. He is not saying you have been built and you are a temple. He says you are being built together. It's happening at the moment, and that's enormously important. You see, this is almost the, 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 the kind of click-click moment where you, you've got to take out your phones and, you, and take a photograph. Boom, boom, boom. This is Kerry today. It's 22nd of the 10th, uh, 2017. This is where we are at this stage, but we are still being built together. And it is a work in progress. And, and just as when Nick and Kat go to their new home, which has been built, they, they have to do checkups quite regularly. And they notice sometimes, actually, the way that that door is going to open there, that's not right. That's not what the plan says. If the door opens, that's the wrong way. It's going to be a problem. And actually, they're not supposed to be a wall there. That's where the garage door is supposed to be. Thank you very much. And there are not enough PowerPoints over there. And, and, and you actually go there, and, and you, you need to, when a building's happening, you actually need to be quite critical, don't you? And you need to be checking up that mistakes aren't being made. And, and you might sometimes feel of Kerry, oh, this is wrong about Kerry, and we don't get this right, and we don't get that right. And, and that's fine, because we are a building in the process of being built. And should you speak? Well, of course you should speak, because if you don't speak, then the PowerPoint won't be there. Or the garage door will be in the wrong place. Uh, you, you know, this is what Paul is saying. You're, you're being built together. It's, it's in progress. It's work that's happening. And you check it back. And you check it back against what? The foundation of, of the apostles, what you find in the New Testament, and the prophets, and, and the cornerstone who's Jesus. And you say, are we being built in a way that is appropriate for that? And it is a work that continues to happen. Rosemary and I live in Virtue Estate, which is just alongside here. And uh, some of you who, who live close there would know that until fairly recently there was a fairly big block of land, not very far from where we stay, just around the corner from it actually. And uh, it could house a couple of houses being built there, and it was probably the last vacant block uh, in, in that particular estate. And we wondered what was going to happen. And then about four years ago, suddenly some, some builders came in and, and a whole lot of uh, foundations were laid, and it was obvious that they were going to build a couple of townhouses there, which seemed fine. But these foundations were laid, and then nothing, and then nothing, and then nothing, and then nothing. I mean, literally years went by with all these foundations having been laid, and nothing happening except the grass growing longer and longer and getting more overrun, and you thought, what's going on here? And then suddenly one day, some bulldozers came in, and they bulldozed up the whole lot all over again. And you thought, oh, someone has a lot of money to waste. And, uh, and then suddenly some new foundations were laid. And this time, actually, walls did go up on them. And they, a number of units were built, and they've been sold at the moment. And I think the thing that I got from that is that, you know, it is possible sometimes to make a start in a building and then for it just to, I, I don't know why that happened, 
but it is possible for a start to be made from on a building and then it just grinds to a halt and nothing happens. And that's not the first time that something like that has happened. And it happens in the temple that God builds as well sometimes. A work gets underway. We're going and it's wonderful to see. And then suddenly, boom, just stops. And you ask yourself why and you don't really know why, but it's not going anywhere and nothing's happening. And the grass is just growing longer and longer. And, and you wonder and you say, what's happening there? And we need to recognize that for us at Kerry here, that could happen to us as well. That this, this work which is going and growing and God is behind it and there's this temple that's been built where God lives by his spirit and it could just pump, suddenly just stop like that. But it won't if you and I see that we belong and that we're called to share our lives together in such a way that what is being built is not actually a set of bricks and mortar but lives that are knitted together very closely. And lives that have been far from God and lives that have been near, lives that have been very different, stories that don't necessarily sound exactly the same, but God comes and weaves us all together. And as that building is built, the watching world looks and says, ah, there is a place that God lives by his spirit. And Paul, I think, is wanting to say to us, a church, it's this hugely risky coalition of people who are very different. And you, if you were a betting person, might sit back and say, will this coalition ever hold together? And Paul says, by God's spirit, it will. It will because those who were far and those who were near have been called to be together through Christ Jesus to build through the spirit a temple that will glorify God. What am I saying in a nutshell? I'm saying wherever you've come from, as in wherever you have come from, you belong. You belong as part of the household of God. And together we are called to build a temple for God. Snap, snap. This is Kerry, 22nd of October, 2017. Building needs to keep going up. 22nd October, 2018 should be more growth, more development, more of a place where God truly lives by spirit. You belong. Dive in and let God use you. Let's pray together. And Lord, some of us might wonder if we really do belong. But we have been called. Some of us look at other people and we just say, oh, they're not my kind of people, thank you very much, and we forget that that is not at all the point. The point is that you are our peace. Draw us together. And work in us and through us, through your spirit, that together we might build a place that truly is for the praise of your glory. Thank you that it's so much bigger than any one of us, but that you're wanting to work through us together. We pray that we would open ourselves to you. In your name. Amen.